This is the scripture. Today's scripture is Philippians 4, 1 through 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Jesus Christ. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing these things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen. By prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Bill has just read us these words from Philippians, from the letter of Paul to the church at Philippi. Now Paul's letter to the church at Philippi is by far the most personal of his correspondence. The contents of this epistle are not just a treatise, but a heartfelt expression of his own faith and the faith which Paul wishes his brothers and sisters in the church at Philippi to embody and exhibit. Paul knows these people. Paul knows them well and can speak in this intimate way to them. And in today's letter, the scripture that we have heard is Paul talking 
to his people about this situation in Philippi and how to remedy it with prayer. So the title of this week's sermon is, Have You Prayed About It? I hope that all of us turn to prayer just as if we would do anything. So it's like so routine for us to turn to God in prayer. But I know sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes that particular muscle isn't exercised enough and it's not as strong as it might be. And it's not as normal for the secular society to do such a thing. So we might be caught up in that instead, instead of the religious teaching that we've had throughout our lives, perhaps, to turn to God in prayer. Sometimes when we're approaching a situation in our work lives or in our family lives, we might be so overwhelmed with all of the other things going on that we don't turn to prayer as readily as we do when it's part of a religious worship service such as we are here today, when we know that there's a time coming up that we're going to share the Lord's Prayer together. But I want us to begin to think about how we do that so naturally. And here we have this wonderful example of Paul addressing his church and a conflict that has arisen. Now, the disagreement between Euodia and Syntyche threatens the unity of the community, the community that Paul knows so well. And Paul manages in this letter to commend both apostles, despite the dispute. So he's not condemning them for fighting. He's commending them for the work they have done. And you may think of Paul as a character who is misogynist or has often said things against women that they should not speak in church. But the truth about Paul is that he supports the women that are in ministry with him, that he's grateful for the ways in which they raise funds for him when he is in prison. He's grateful for the way in which Lydia worked, the ways in which all of these saints have worked, Dorcas and all the others. And in this particular case, he says to the church at Philippi, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers who are, whose names are in the book of life. Right there in the scripture, he is talking about working together with these women for the gospel and alongside Clement. He's saying that in spite their differences, they are doing good work. And here he encourages them to be of the same mind in the Lord. He is reminding Syntyche and Euodia that of course they have differences. We all do. But that it is also important to remember their togetherness, their collectiveness, what they have in common. Their differences should not hinder them from working together for the common good. Paul is not asking us to be a squishy, unified, happy mess because that's just not possible because we are all so very different. So it's not some pie in the eye, in the sky harmony that he's seeking. It's a real, genuine kind of interworking together, recognizing that we are different, but also recognizing that we have the same aim to work towards the good of all through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This sense of togetherness is a way of life rather than a system of thought. 
It refers to an attitude that welcomes the others. It is no surprise, therefore, that when Paul speaks of rejoicing or gentleness in verses 4 and 5, he uses a plural expression of doing these things together. There are some things that you have to do together, right? We can sing alone, but we can't sing in harmony alone. We need another voice. We can't really play Monopoly alone, while we can play Solitaire alone, but Monopoly is a different kind of game. Or we can't, or I can't anyway, put a large air conditioner in a window alone. There are so many tasks in a household that are a matter of, here, you hold this while I do that, right? So there are so many things in our lives that we need to do together. We need to come together in community. Even though we might have a little bit different way of doing things, that's what makes our existence so rich, is that we are different and we come together and do things collectively. Now the rejoicing in this text refers not just to a personal state of being, a joyful state of personal being, but to a communal atmosphere of joyfully embracing difference, right? The opposite is what we see though in partisan politics today, that put party above humanity, above morality, above the common good, above justice, above mercy, above human decency and dignity. And it's difficult to see this kind of, this narrative kind of pervading our society and, and it feels like everything we do is this versus that. When we really as Christians are called to come together in community and to do these things collectively, Politics is a messy business because people have different opinions and different ways of thinking and so on. And they are all valid. We just need to work together to find the best solution to our problems of the world in this time, even though they may change down the road. We don't need a false form of unity in which differences are disavowed or erased. We need a true sense of unity. We need to move on partisan politics and work together for the common good. Fighting the spread of COVID-19 is one such example, for instance. It shouldn't be a partisan issue. Can't we all be co-fighters and co-workers in this unprecedented time in history when the virus has spread to every corner of the world like wildfire? Can we set aside our partisan loyalty and see our response to the virus as a common fight for the future of humanity? Now this letter from Paul to the church at Philippi, he goes on to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything. Paul has called us to gentleness when we seem to be anything but here in America today with the recent FBI discovery of the threat against the governor in the Midwest. There are just so many areas where we see that contention, that fighting, and we need to rise above that. We need to embrace that spirit of gentleness that we are called to through Paul by God. Paul has called us to that gentleness, and, and in fact, I found a wonderful piece that I've posted on my YouTube page, my my Facebook page rather, and I can direct you to it if you want to get in touch. It's put out by uh, the 
the individual who did that um, kid president video, Brad Montague. It was a video about a, the choice between a dumpster fire and a garden. It's a little bit too long to share here, but I wanted to just share with you that what, what it's talked about um, is the idea of throwing more trash into the dumpster fire, more fuel for that fire, that angry, contentious kind of thing, that partisan kind of thing. Or when the dumpster fire is done and gone and there's nothing left but the ash, the, the way that there is now fertile ground, a, a blank space to plant a garden, to tend a garden, to contribute to it, to water it, to nurture it. So wouldn't we in America as Christians want to bring what Paul calls us to bring, that spirit of gentleness of tending that garden rather add, than adding fuel to that dumpster fire. You know, as we go on through this scripture, Paul says that we shouldn't worry about anything. And I think you probably know that in some cases, the worst thing to tell somebody who is anxious is to calm down. The Philippians are under a lot of stress because of this situation with Euodia and Syntyche. They're under a lot of stress. What would it be like for you during this time of COVID to receive a letter saying you should be happy all the time when you're truly and genuinely anxious about the situation? The solution comes next, though, because Paul then says, do not worry about anything, and goes on to say, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And that brings us back to the title of today's sermon. Have you prayed about it? How often do you pray about a troubling situation? How often do you invite your friends and family to join you in those prayers? I hope it's second nature, but I know that some of us can be uncomfortable about it. In fact, one of the goals from Liquid Church, the retreat that the Ad Board and some of the other leaders have done this summer, and now are codifying those goals so that we can move forward with them, one of those goals is not just to have an opening devotion or a closing prayer at our business meetings of the church, but to do all things prayerfully. When we were discussing this particular goal this Tuesday night, Byron Champlin, our adult Sunday school leader and stewardship chair, shared a time when in this church, probably about 20 years ago, that there was some discussion about changing the structure of the church council. And it was difficult to come to a consensus about how to do that. And at that time, the choice was made to go all out into different corners of the church, in different areas, in different rooms, and for each person to pray individually about it. And when they returned, there was a consensus about what should be done. Byron expresses that as being quite a remarkable moment, quite an astonishing time when all of the prayers had resulted in the same solution. And the goal to undertake all of our church business in this day and time is to do everything with that sense of prayer that God can accomplish much through our our time of quietness, attentiveness to God, attentiveness to the mission of the church, rather than to personal opinions. 
So what we want to do in our business meetings going forward is to undertake all of the business of the church prayerfully, thoughtfully, calmly, and trusting in God. Now maybe, maybe you're a little shy about prayer. Maybe you think that it, it's not right unless it takes a particular form to be heard. One of the things that I have been blessed to experience in this life is when I was a layperson at Wesley 15 years ago, I took a class with a certain leader whose name is Penny Thurston, who is still a member among us, leaving a wonderful book study on Saturdays. She did a, a, a series on Richard Foster's book on prayer. And it has been so formative for me in understanding the different kinds of prayer. Not that there's one particular kind of prayer that works, but there are many ways in which to pray. Prayers that, that go up to God, to the Son, to the Holy Spirit. There are prayers of transformation and intimacy and ministry and that sometimes we can categorize different types of prayer if we're taking a study of prayer. Prayers that, that are, uh, are um, formed on the examen or are prayers of adoration or meditation or contemplation or prayers of petition, asking for something or intercessory, interceding for someone else, praying for someone else or healing. There are so many types of prayer and I think it limits us when we fear that we're not doing it right because God knows our hearts whether we know the words or not. There's a really fun meme on Facebook where all of the letters are jumbled up. This is the prayer. It says God and then all of the letters are kind of thrown on there and then the next um, panel in the meme is I hear you from God, right? God knows what's in our heart, even if we can't form the words. But it, when we do wish that there were a formula, Jesus has taught us the perfect prayer in the Lord's Prayer. There's a gentleman named Eric Douglas Randolph who has actually broken this down, and many people have. There are some people who say there are five parts, some say six, some say seven. Mr. Randolph happens to have broken it down into seven spots, seven types, seven uh, characteristics of this prayer. So, so I'm going to just post them right here so that you can see what we're talking about. So when you look at Jesus' prayer, the perfect prayer, and you look at the very first part, Our Father, who art in heaven, what you're doing in that piece is establishing a relationship. You're acknowledging your relationship with divine love, our Father, our parent, who art in heaven, right? The second piece follows along the words, Hallowed be thy name. In that we're acknowledging God's nature, the nature of the one that we are in relationship with. Hallowed be thy name. The third piece, thy kingdom come, is one in which we feel God's presence and guidance. Thy kingdom come, right? Number four, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, is a place where we are acknowledging our trust in God's will and power, right? That's a part of prayer for sure. When we're trusting God for what God's will is in the situation, for the power of God to accomplish it. And then receiving God's daily providence when we say together, give us this day our daily bread. Number six relies on the words and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
in that we accept and receive forgiveness. That's a part of prayer. That's part of the perfect prayer. It doesn't necessarily always occur in every prayer, but it does occur in many, and sometimes in ways that we don't expect. And finally, number seven, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Allow the rescue. Allow what God is doing in your life. So, for instance, if we pray for a particular thing and we don't see necessarily that it's coming about exactly as we have believed it should, allow ourselves to receive what God is saying to us, how God is blessing us in the situation, even when we can't quite see it. Truly, God hears what is in our hearts. You know, one of the most effective and easy to turn to methods of prayer is a breath prayer. A breath prayer is as old as the 6th century that people have been doing this kind of thing. It's an opportunity to slow down, to pray with your in and out breaths. Normally what you would do is to take one or two words or uh, a phrase from the Bible. So one example might be one that has its roots in Psalm 123 or Luke 18 or um, another place in Luke, either verses 13 or 38. And that is breathing in saying, Lord, have mercy as you breathe out. Lord, have mercy. And the repetition of the words is a way in which to calm yourself, to calm your thinking, to calm your anxiety, to let you know that it is the breath of God that is moving through you in and out. Another one of these, you'll notice this one to be one of my very favorites. You know that Samuel is someone I identify strongly with. And in 1 Samuel 3 verse 9, we hear, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So this is a few more words, but still it can be done in that breathing in and out formula, right? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So you hear that rhythm, that in and out. And it's taking the focus off of me and my fears and my desires and putting the focus on God. In both of those situations, it's Lord have mercy. Speak Lord, right? And you're focusing on God, on love, on what is going on in the world. And the final one that I find especially helpful is from Psalm 56, verse 3, and that is, when I am afraid, I will trust you. When I'm afraid, I will trust you. Prayer is not wishful thinking, something magical, something that we think, well, if I do it just right, then, then you know, it, it will unlock the, the mystery, the magic, hocus pocus, right? That's not what prayer is. We're not praying to a genie who grants wishes or a judge who only grants those that are for the correct reason or in the correct format, or even to someone who knows what's going to happen. We pray to a God of mystery. We don't know what's going to happen. But we know that love will guide us all along the way. Our God is love itself. Not romantic love or fleeting love, but the love that created the world. The love that cares for neighbor. The love that connects us to each other. 
and wants what's best for us, like a parent seeing a child off to college or out into the world, connected and caring but knowing that there are going to be challenges. So if you heard me in saying those three ideas of love, the love that created the world is God. The love that cares for neighbor is Jesus, all that Jesus taught us to do, right? The love that connects us, activates us, helps us to care for one another, that's the Holy Spirit. God is love, not somebody who's judging or granting wishes. Love is what is answering your prayers. And you know, when we pray, it brings us into harmony with God's will, with God's love in the world. It doesn't change things in a particular way. It brings us into harmony as, as our thinking is changed, is brought into alignment, as we put our focus onto God instead of ourselves. In a difficult time, knowing that you are held by love, that love walks with you, you begin to see that all of the support and the kindness surround you, even in the midst of those most difficult times. So let's finish our time together with a prayer. With all, we're all anxious in this time of COVID, right? And Paul shares for some wisdom for this particular emotion. He writes, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's not hard to focus on whatever's worrying us, but that's the key to prayer. The act of prayer in and of itself forces us to turn our focus on God. We are blessed with a peace that is beyond anything that we can understand. So Leonard Sweet, one of my favorite contemporary theologians, he's a professor down at Drew University, down at the seminary at Drew, he uses this breath prayer. And it's couplets, it's pairs of words. Ready? Anxious, nothing. Prayerful, everything. Thankful, anything. Then, peace. Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift. Amen.